The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of The Passion of the Christ, where we will discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings of this fantastic movie from 2004. Sorry, I'm spoiling my reaction to it, uh, but uh, we'll hear what other people have to say. And joining me today on the panel are Andrew Hermes. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Dom. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you. Uh, and Mike Denz. Hi, Mike. Pleasure to be here, Dom. And another Mike, Mike Creevy. Hi, Mike. Hey, good to, good to see you again. Yeah, good to have you. So I, I'm going to try to remember to refer you to, to you by your full name so that the listeners can distinguish between you guys. Uh, but, uh, you know, if I forget, uh, you bear with us. Uh, try to. Try, I think your voices are different enough. It'll help. <laughs> so we're talking about this movie. It came out in 2004. So as we record this, about 16 years ago, which is kind of crazy to think about. It seems like just yesterday. Uh, directed, written by Mel Gibson, starring Jim Caviezel as Jesus. Uh, and uh, it was a big movie for the time. It was a huge splash. And Mel Gibson, of course, being a household name, you know, action star, uh, and suddenly started doing these directing projects, including uh, this one, and which really showcases his Catholic faith. And uh, and it was a big deal back then. There was a lot, some controversy uh, about it, but. Um, a lot of people rolled out for this, not just Catholics, but Christians across the board went out to the theaters for this. What was your guys, I want to ask each of you, your experience seeing this movie for the first time? What 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 was it like? Uh, you know, was it in the theater? So uh, let me start with, with you, Andrew. Uh, what was your first experience with this movie? Um, yeah, I remember it pretty vividly because... Uh... You know, being, you know, I'm Chaldean Catholic. So the, the language that we speak and the, and the liturgy that we, uh, uh, that we have is one of the most ancient ones. And we, uh, the Chaldean language is a modern form of Aramaic and our liturgy still uses the, uh, the, the old Aramaic that, uh, the language that's uh, prominently spoken in the film. So I remember in the Chaldean community, um, it was a big deal. Uh, when the movie came out and everyone was uh, very excited to, to see it, in including myself. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I, I saw it in the theater. I, I think I saw it at least twice in the theater. Um, and I remember the first time it was very emotional. I mean, I was, uh, I was still in high school. Yeah, I was in high school. Um, I was my senior, might've been my junior or senior year around that time. It was 2003 or 2004 when it came out. Um, and, uh, I was, uh, and that was around the time that I was uh, taking my faith a lot more seriously, um, right at the cusp of it, you know, being more involved in, and, and, you know, at church and, and getting involved in youth groups and stuff like that. Um, so it was a very, uh, special time in my life. Um, you know, that kind of, uh, was the, uh, genesis of, of my faith life as it is now. Um, but yeah, the, the movie definitely, uh, you know, it, it hit hard. And I know we're going to talk about the, that, those aspects of the film. Um, but yeah, it was special. I mean, and, 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 you know, saying that it was, uh, a, a, a film that was, uh, you know, obviously spoken in, uh, in Aramaic, 
uh, a priest in my uh, my parish priest at the time, who's now retired, uh, Father Michael uh, Bazi, was actually worked on the film as a tra- as one of the translators. Oh wow! Um, so yeah, oh, the, wow. yeah, and he liked to show off about that a lot. So it was, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, Mike Dens, how about you? I re- I remember exactly where I was sitting in the theater. I don't actually don't remember which theater it was. I remember we consciously said, "Well, we're not going to buy popcorn." Uh, this just doesn't seem like a popcorn movie. We just went inside. It was my wife, myself, and a good friend of ours. And uh, it, it it was um, it was tense. I mean, you could feel the that this was not just any movie that we were about to watch. Um, and it was palpable in the whole theater. Uh, and when it was over, it was just silence. There was, it would mean right. nobody. It was like you leave a church. Yeah. It was so quiet. I remember we went to adoration. We just said, you know, let's just go to adoration. And I don't know if you remember, it was Ash Wednesday. Uh, right. Was the day it was released. That's right. So, you know, there was, I mean, you know, I guess we wanted to be able to get popcorn anyway, but, um, uh, <laughs> unless that was your small meal. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was it was very intense, uh, and uh, uh, just just the the whole thing blew me away. I mean, you had all those up like, what is it going to be like? It's really violent. It's, it's anti-Semitic. All these things, you know, that were mm-hmm. going in, but uh, and just seeing it and how absolutely well made, which we're I'm sure we're going to get into that it was yep. how, how well done it was. Uh, Usually they give Christians, well, you know, they'll like anything that's Christian. So we'll just, right. we don't have to spend a lot of money on production. Uh, this wasn't the case at all. This, this was fantastic. Mike Creevy, how about you? Yeah, I was, uh, I was a sophomore at Catholic U um, uh, doing my undergrad work there. And um, I had been, it, it's kind of like a lot what, what Andrew was saying, but I, I was sort of taking my faith a little bit more seriously already uh, since I had gone to college especially that year and uh, knew that was coming up and was very interested in it. And then uh, we had, we, we always laughed about this at Catholic. You always had spring break, like February 27th, you know, like the first week of March, which was like, yeah, some spring. Right. Um, but you know, so I remember it came out Ash Wednesday. I didn't see it till I went home um, for that break. And uh, yeah, I was just blown away from the get go. And I do remember somehow I had pre-ordered the soundtrack. I've always been a big fan of film soundtracks and and that's something I'd like to talk about a little bit later too. John Debney's work on it's just incredible. Um, and it literally changed my life (laughs) just, but I I had listened to some of the soundtrack before I saw the movie, uh, which, you know, didn't ruin anything for me by any means, but um, I I think it kind of primed (laughs) me for it. Right. You know, in a way. And so, uh, but yeah, I, I hadn't heard a whole lot of detail. You know, I think my brother might've seen it before me and going into it, you know, I knew some of what to expect with what the chatter was about the violence and that kind of stuff. And, you know, some of the same stuff, you know, Mike was talking about, you know, oh, it's anti-Semitic, and, you know, so I, I went to it and was just completely blown away. Um, that's never gone away. And I was telling you guys before we started, I, I managed to slip in a rewatch, uh, today. And it was, if anything, it had a bigger impact than it did when I had seen it before. And I've, I've probably, I, I can't even count how many times I've seen it. Mm. It became a, something I'd revisit, honestly, a few times a year for a while. And it was really just gripping and made it come alive and real for me, you know? So that's my summary. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I actually, to that last point, I, for a long time, I tried to watch it every year in uh, in Lent and usually as close to 
and perhaps sometimes during Holy Week uh, as a preparation for Good Friday. Um, I haven't in recent years, mostly because of the kids and I just they can't watch it yet. They're not quite old enough mm-hmm. yet for, for them to watch it. So it, uh, but I, it's something I want to rewatch again this year uh, in Holy Week. I saw it with my at the time I was dating my wife and with and we went with my sister and her husband. And uh, it was like I think uh, like you described it, uh, Mike Dance, it, the theater was was quiet. It was somber or solemn, not somber, solemn. Um, people were not taking it lightly. I've heard stories from people who went to, to the theaters and it was like there were people who were being disrespectful and stuff. And that kind of undermines it. But where we were, uh, people were, were qu- uh, quiet, respectful. At times you could hear a pin drop, you know, when the, when there was no music and it was just, you know, the sound of the th- movie. And pe- nobody nobody was breathing almost at, at certain points of the movie. And like you said, at the end of the movie, you just kind of sat there stunned for a bit, think processing it, and then just quietly like got up and walked out. You don't want to talk too loud, you know that sort of thing. So yeah, it was a, it was a similar experience. Uh, so uh, let's get into talking about the movie uh, itself uh, first. Let's talk about uh, Andrew. You mentioned the languages, the Aramaic. Uh, so it was there was no English. Uh, one of the first. Uh, Bible movies I ever saw where the where the uh, the Jews or the Romans didn't have British accents <laughs> or, yes. or, or or American accents, but you know they spoke only in uh, in English. I'm sorry, only in Aramaic, Latin, or Hebrew throughout the movie. Those are the only languages you heard. Uh, apparently, Mel Gibson wrote the original script in English, and then it was translated into Aramaic and Latin, like like you said, Andrew, like uh, Aramaic by your priest and uh also this uh jesuit at loyola marymount who also did a lot of the translating um some of the scenes were not aren't translated they don't give us subtitles for what's being said like during the scourging of the pillow the roman soldiers curse at jesus and they say but they don't translate the words and i i think i think that's because they want the impact is more, you know, that there's a greater impact. If we're not reading something at the bottom of the screen, the, the, uh, the, of uh, the actions literally speak louder than words in this case. Uh, do, do you guys recall that? I mean, is that a, something that rings true to you? I can remember, uh, cause I, I rewatched it over the last couple of days and it's almost like they're like for this scene, everybody's going to be quiet. We're, we're, you know, we're not even going to do the translation. Uh, because mm-hmm. this is too sacred of a of a moment for us to have words being put over it. Just watch, and really, you you didn't need. It. I mean, there's nobody had to have a, a stitch of Latin or anything to know he's counting the lashes. Right, and you knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you know the way those guys were going. Uh, they were drunk. You know those they would get the real brutal guys that would get good and drunk before doing this because it was such a brutal act. You know, so it, it, there was no need. I mean, I'm curious. I'd love to like hold up a. I'm assuming they were speaking Latin, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, a Latin translator, so I could hear what, so I could, so I could have my computer translate what they were saying. But there was Actually, no need. I, I, it would have ruined. It, it would have it taken away from it. Oh, really? Okay. It would have taken it away the, from it if they had words over. Yeah, I think that the two that I remember he had he had mentioned, and and I I don't know it, but I can kind of catch the you know it sounds like what I think it is, but it's um at one point he says something like you know it's like making music, 
right. you know, as they're kind of laughing and uh, he yeah. says something like, like, yeah. Well, like, beat, yeah. Yeah, like beat him like a dog. Right. You know, there's a, you know, canine or whatever it is, you know, something like canine. So, yeah, he, he had picked up some of that. I remember back when it first came out that I was like, yikes. But one yeah. point he says, flip him over. Like, right. Like he's like, he, he gestures yeah. and then says, you know, flip him over and they, so they can scourge him on, on his uh, yeah. belly. Uh, yeah. So, um, so it was interesting to have this movie like this and Gibson, he said he decided to do the movie in the ancient languages because people know the gospel story too well. Like we know it by heart. It's just ingrained. It's in our bones. We know the, the words. And so by having it in other languages that we don't understand, we have to pay closer attention. We can't just anticipate what what they're going to say next. We have to watch. We have to be immersed in it. I think that's one of the reasons why this movie had so much impact. It's not just the violence of it, but like this movie drew people in a way that say Jesus of Nazareth or uh, the one that Max von Sydow. Is that the Max von Sydow Jesus of Nazareth? No, I forget. I I always mix up who played what, but. Um, but, but there are a couple of older from the seventies and the sixties that were huge in their time. I mean, Jesus of Nazareth was in every CYO or, you know, confirmation program in the eighties. It was huge, but Mm. this had an impact that those didn't. And I think partly because it drew us in, in a way because of the language. So I thought that was interesting. I do recommend to people of just, just uh, I wanted to mention on that same note, um, it's actually really interesting to go and turn the subtitles off um, and just watch it with no subtitles, because I found when I did that, I already knew the movie really well, but something made me do that one time. And it just like you're saying, Dom, like it, that was especially interesting because it's like I really paid attention to. The, you know every little detail the characters facial expressions eye contact like it just really opened up a whole new dimension so i recommend that to people who haven't done that you know especially if you're familiar with it already it, it's a neat you know way to, to go about watching it i prefer to watch things without subtitles if i can uh, but sometimes i have to like i don't know the language or it takes place in the shetland islands and it, they're supposedly speaking english <laughs> but nobody can you convince me of that? <laughs> but uh, so so in this case, I, I I because I know the story, you're right. I could turn off the subtitles and I could still experience it and understand it. And because I've seen the movie, you know, several times, I can anticipate. So I think that's a great idea. It's, it's interesting. I am glad they did it. I know that Mitt Gibson had to be convinced to put the subtitles in. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking about that again today because there was enough of the you know, dialogue. I mean, it wasn't like they were just quoting one of the gospels. There was a lot of different things in there and, and scripture passages taken from the, outside the gospels and put in there and stuff mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have known what they were saying. Right. Um, that just, it was, I was happy that they did that uh, because it would have been uh, taken away from my experience. Uh, That's true. A great deal. That's true. So let's talk about, we, t- we kind of touched on about the violence uh, aspect. Uh, I want to read a quote that I found from Roger Ebert. Uh, when he reviewed this movie, he said, uh, "What Gibson is prov- and, uh, and by the way, Ebert is a uh, was a Catholic. He'll, I think I think lapsed, but I'm not going to. He was an altar boy as a child, so he and he he publicly said that. But uh, he's familiar with it enough. He says, "What Gibson has provided for me for the first time in my life is a visceral idea of what the passion consisted of. That his film is superficial in terms of the surrounding message that we get only a few passing references." To the teachings of Jesus is, I suppose, not the point. This is not a sermon or a homily, but a visualization of the central event in the Christian religion. Take it or leave it. End quote. 
I, and I thought, wow. I mean, he, Roger Ebert, of course, is a great film critic, but he really got it. He got it. Like, Roger Ebert is not making a movie. I'm sorry. Mel Gibson is not making a movie that is teaching us, you know, giving us the teachings of Jesus. He's not preaching the gospel uh, in the in that more literal sense. He's teaching us the gospel of the passion, the that this this is a violent event that that is central to Christianity. And in fact, Christianity has long been accused of being morbid, uh, a religion focused on death. You know, if you if you you know when you step back, say our central symbol is of an instrument of of execution. You know, it's like we 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 wear little uh, electric chairs around our neck. You know, I mean, it's it's kind <laughs> of you know stark when you when you approach like uh, like that. Uh, have you guys seen Carnival Row, that Amazon series? It's a sort of a fantasy series. There's a religion in it which is analogous to Christianity, but their central symbol, their central figure is the martyr, and their central symbol is a noose and they wear nooses around their necks, like literally the loop and hangs down and you, and it, it's stark. It's like, wow, well, that's kind of what, what Christianity is like. And by, I think separating the events uh, from the central teachings Now we still get Jesus's teachings in this, but while by focusing so closely on the passion, we, we get a, 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 a view of this, the most important event of Jesus's life, which is the death and resurrection. Uh, what do you guys think? It, uh, it, you know, it, was the violence too much? Some people said it was too much blood and gore. Uh, it, it reveled in it. What do you think? Too much or was it the right amount? Yeah, I think, let's say for a viewer like me, uh, you know, I'm pretty, you know, I can take uh, gore. I can take, you know, I, I'm pretty uh, numb to a lot of those things. And um, so for myself, uh, it, it was, it wasn't too much. Maybe it was too much from an emotional perspective watching for the first time, because, you know, you're just, you're, uh, while you're watching the movie, you're, you're sort of, you know, meditating on the suffering of Christ, which is, I think the whole point of the film. But, you know, I, I trust that knowing what we know about the film, that Mel Gibson chose to do it in the original languages that the people spoke at the time. And, you know, they did the research theologically and historically to what they would wear, what what kind of punishments, uh, what kind of punishment the Romans um, would inflict, and and specifically, you know, what was unique about the punishment of Christ. Knowing that, you know, th that they put in all the work in, in pre production uh, and doing all the research, you want to just trust that you know it's it's accurate. And as long as it's accurate, I don't I don't I don't think it's too much. I mean, obviously, it's it's rated R. It's rated you know what it should be, and and uh, you know take caution you know little kids shouldn't be watching the film and and so on but you could argue you know i mean i've seen plenty of horror movies that that i think are are, are worse when it comes to gore and and gratuitous violence um and obviously in this case it's it's uh it's not gratuitous it's it's literally uh what you know a third of the world believe you know ha happened to uh their savior and 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 even more people believe historically that this happened too. So you could argue that a majority of the world believes that this actually happened. So I, I think that argument, it kind of, you know, it's always up in the air because there are always going to be people that are more sensitive to, to certain things than not. And, you know, there are people that are always fighting over, you know, the, the gore and, and movies in general. And then they're, uh, to my, in my opinion, it's, it's, you know, films in art form, you know, I know it's a generic thing to say, but it's an art form. and 
you know, it's a, it's, it's a way of depicting what, what happened. And, and, you know, obviously there are, he took some liberties, you know, uh, I know we'll get into like with how he portrayed Satan and, and, and stuff like that, but, um, it wasn't just literally taken from the gospels. Uh, like you said, it, it focuses on his passion and, and I think he was just, he was telling the story, the, you know, the way he wanted to, and it was a decision. And, you know, in my opinion, it wasn't, uh, wasn't too much. I, I would say that it's just one of the things I think a lot of people learned is that for different reasons, we've sanitized the passion of Jesus. You know, we, we, we looked at our crucifixes afterwards and said, wow, that's actually pretty clean, uh, from what, what it could be there. Uh, you know, um, there's, so I, I think that it was, that's what it was shocking. You know, all we get really in the, in the gospels is he was scourged. Let's move on. Why? Because everybody knew what it was. You didn't need to describe what would happen when you were scourged. And, uh, I remember, you know, before that, like, uh, youth ministers or, or, or other catechists like I am would give a crosstalk and would explain what a cat of nine tails is and what it does to the skin and how it can stick. And it's just pretty graphic, but you want people to have an idea. This isn't just a whipping. This right. was so much more. He didn't get the um, belt. And, <laughs> yeah. Right. And now you don't have to. Now you can say, who's seen the passion of the Christ? Okay. You know, there, there it is. Well, yeah. And that's um, what's interesting is I, I'm not showing this movie to my, just to be a big disclaimer here. I'm not showing this movie to my 14 year old, like freshman, um, but, uh, I did, I did show them the, uh, the garden of Gethsemane scene mm. with a little disclaimer. Cause it was, it fit really well into what we were talking about. And it really, uh, cause we just finished a unit on, uh, Christ is the new Adam and helping them to see, you could see the light bulbs coming on, like, wait a minute, he's in a garden and there's a tempter and it really made it click, which was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in asking them, just talking a little bit about it. And I, I told them about the movie, uh, a lot of them haven't seen it. And that, of course, might just be because they're, you know, they're young parents haven't had them, you know, watch that yet. But also, you know, I mean, it's it's interesting because it's it's not part of their generation per se either. So I I I hope, you know, for them uh, when they're ready for that, to be able to have that experience as well. Um, And it is, you know, it's 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 brutal. Um, But there's something it's just hard to describe. You know, Peter Crave, I think, has talked about how it's it's as he describes it, you know, as the most beautiful film ever made. And it's mm. also so bloody and so right. gory because of what it means, what it is. Um, and, and I think especially for us, maybe as Catholics, um, not holding that over anyone who's listening to this who's not Catholic, but just because of how in our vocabulary, when, when how often we talk about the precious blood of Christ to see it, I mean, it's it's all over the place. Like it's it's literally splattered, you know, in it. But it resonates because it's it's his blood and it just makes it completely different in its meaning. Like that. Um, excuse me, like that amazing part of, of that scene with the scourging of the pillar where um, Pontius Pilate's wife had given Mary, Mother Jesus and Mary Magdalene, uh, the, the linen cloths. And they were literally sopping up the blood of Christ from the ground, right. like these pools of like almost impossible pools of blood that they were sopping up. And there's nothing in scripture that I think, I think he got that from the writings of Anne Catherine Emmerich, uh, that Gibson did uh, this imagery, but this idea of like, they would sop it up because it's precious because it's the precious mm-hmm. blood uh, that is everywhere. And you're right. It's it's, but I think partly because we are, 
And by the way, I'm sorry, Don, real quick, because you'll also you'll still see people like in uh, terrorist attacks and stuff like that. Sometimes they'll go out and, and some parts of the Middle East, they'll still do that. It, you know, to, it's a Jewish thing. Right. It's, it's, right. In fact, it's mm-hmm. a specifically very Jewish thing at right. s- sites of terrorist attacks of you will have rabbis yeah. and others come out and their specific is a, there's a sacred task of, of gathering up the, the blood of the innocents that have been slaughtered. So uh, it's very much in line with Jewish uh, practice, as far as as far as I, I know. I, if someone knows better, please, I'm always open to correction on that. Uh, but that's my understanding. You know, one of the things um, I was going to say was, as 21st century Americans, Europeans, uh, Antipodians, you know, from Australia, New Zealand, you know, 21st century people who live in relatively uh, privileged place in in the world, with, with where we aren't. St- in submerged in violence, I think it's easy to become detached from the what violence actually looks like in, in this case. For people who lived in more brutal times, <laughs> like most of human history, or people who live in brutal situations now, you know, people who Syria, parts of Africa, you know, that we're like Nigerians who are under persecution and that sort of thing. They know like they know what it means when you say someone is scourged or someone was brutalized, someone was was executed. They 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 can picture it. We had to have someone connect the dots for us uh, with a movie like this. So I think that's a uh, I don't uh, from personally, I don't think it was excessive. And I think I think we're in agreement on that. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about how the movie depicts Jesus and his and his mother, because. For me, this was the the moment in the movie that most elicited emotion from me. The moment that my my heart caught in my throat, well, and it it still gives me chills, and and it, and it catches my throat every time I think of it. Even now, when he's carrying the cross, and he falls, and she sees him, and she's she her heart is torn in two to see her child uh, like this, and he says, "See, mother." I make all things new. I mean, I want I, I literally want to start crying now because of the the weight of that of that sentence and of that moment of what that means for Jesus to look to his mother and say, see, mother, I make all things new. What he has done there has changed everything forever for all of us. I mean, that and, and it's and it's his mother that he reveals this to. Like his mother understands, she makes the connection, and her heart is pierced with the sword at that moment. I mean, there's so many great moments with his mother in this movie. What, what do you guys think of this this aspect of the of the movie, the the this Mary's role in this movie? What do you guys think? Uh, this is the only movie, and there are some great ones out there where I wasn't watching the Blessed Mother and saying eh, Mary's not like that. You know, there, there's every other movie or depiction is always like, I don't think so. Um, but this one, everything she did was, wow, yeah, she would have done that. She found him in the in the dungeon. You know, she knew where he was and she was there with him. Right. She was the only one who could see Satan as well as Jesus. The, the, no one else right. could take him out. Um, and she was always, uh, I mean, she had her moments of of sorrow. It wasn't weakness, but sorrow. Uh, but she was there. She was like, "We're doing this." You know, this is what we're doing. She was the one who started the. Um, why is this night different from every other night? Right. When they mm-hmm. first found out, because she she knew this was the Passover. In and, fact, 
can I interject that that line was the idea of the actress Maya Morgenstern, who is Jewish. She oh, really? suggested that line to Mel Gibson that that back and forth with Mary Magdalene. So I so appropriate, so amazing. Wow. Oh, it was great. It was awesome. And then the moment you mentioned, I I know that I first saw it. There are two moments that brought me to tears, and right now the one that you mentioned Dom is the only one I can remember. Um, that you know, the my my heart leapt into my throat. She's running to him. They juxtaposed it uh, beautifully with when she ran to him when she was a little child. Yes, and that he quoted the what he said to to John and the Revelation. Behold, I make all things new was for me uh, this, the driving force behind the fact that this was a Jesus-driven movie. This was Jesus doing this. Mm-hmm. If you really are watching carefully, Jesus is the one who's the character that's moving everything along. Um, even one point, Mary says, how long will you let this go on? Mm. You know, because it's him. He's, you know, and so... Well, earlier we mentioned there's no catechesis, like, you know, a teaching of Jesus from a parable or a sermon or something. But you are you are actually learning about the person of the Son of God and what he is doing as he's deciding, behold, I make all things new and watch. Part of that is I'm going to lift up this cross and I'm going to keep going because yeah. this is what I'm doing. And and yeah, the, the moments with with the Blessed Mother were just I wouldn't change a thing. It was it was. Awesome. Um, yeah, for me, I mean, this was the if I had to pick one strength of the movie, the strength is it's this portrayal of, of Mary and, and her relationship with Christ. Because uh, like you said, Mike, it, it, every other movie really didn't paint the picture right. It, th- this movie did it so well that, you know, I don't know how a Protestant could watch this film and not be blown away by by Mary and change their whole perspective of of uh, uh, of her importance. And and. Yeah, everything from her her assertiveness, her just recognizing the what was happening, uh, and and taking it seriously, um, but at the same time, obviously her her sorrow and her pain just being on full display uh, was just perfectly executed. And you know, like I mentioned er- earlier, I think it, it, this movie theologically is is flawless. I mean. It, if if you want if you if you really want like a crash course on 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 who what type of woman uh you know our mother is and 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 how she uh would have behaved during the passion uh you know according to the gospel accounts and and uh through interpretation uh and through tradition i mean this is this is it this is the visual representation of that um you could have called you could easily call this movie like the the sorrow of mary you know it, mm. it, it she yeah. she was uh as much a, a part of the movie as, as Christ was. And uh, yeah, I can't say enough about um, how he, Mel Gibson really nailed uh, that, that portrayal. Yeah. And I you know, don't, don't have really anything much to add, you know, except to say that it's um, I, I did know, or I do know a couple uh, friends who are non-Catholic uh, Christians and, you know, they still are, but they were, you know, talking to me at the time about how her portrayal was very different than what they might have thought, you know, mm-hmm. and I was trying to, it was a great springboard at the time. I remember talking to them and I, I was really kind of starting to grow in my faith more. So I was that guy who's like getting all this stuff from like Catholic answers or from, uh, you know, all these different websites and stuff like, Oh, well, let me tell you about Mary and the new Eve. You know, and be, I might turn them off a little bit or they're not ready for that, but it was just like, it was a great springboard. Um, and I noticed, I, I made a note of this cause I, 
I, I, I made myself really, really watch. And it, it was difficult for me to do funny enough, but at the, when they have the Pieta type, you know, yep. tableau thing at the end, again, like we said, we're not talking about the plot in order per se, cause right. <laughs> no, no spoilers. We here. know the plot, you know, so, <laughs> but when she's holding him, um, and she, you know, she breaks that fourth wall and just stares right at you, you know, mm. <laughs> into your soul. I really watched closely this time. She does not blink once. Like she absolutely does not blink. It's like a full like 30, 40 seconds or whatever as it's slowly mm. panning back. And I really like I had to do it to make sure my eyes are going dry like as I'm trying to keep them open. And it's like she's yeah. But yeah, I swear she doesn't she doesn't blink once. I don't know if that was planned or not, but it really just seems to be like. You know, hear all the stuff that I've gone through, all that I've seen, and now I'm looking right at you. And it wasn't accusatory, but it was just very much like, look at this. You know, whoever you are watching this right now, like, stop for just like 30 seconds and think about the toll, you know, yes. uh, and that this was done for you. You know, so are you going to make anything of it? Like, I just, I feel like all that's packed in there. Yeah. And, and that actress, I think, is well known that she was with child during the filming. Oh. Oh, interesting. Oh, you didn't, oh, yeah. oh, you didn't know that? Yeah, okay. I didn't actually. I, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't remember that. Line. Yeah, yeah. Gibson <laughs> didn't even know until later on. I don't. I don't know what it was. He found out, and he's like, "You, you holding back out on me?" You know. So it was. <laughs> there was something even. Uh, you know, there's no coincidences that 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 she, you know, God had a a pregnant blessed mother. Yeah, like a, a real Jewish, real Jewish, real Jewish mother. Jewish yeah, mother. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it was just a beautiful uh, wow. little tidbit. You know, Mike, I, I want to, you know, you, you say it's not accusatory and you're right. I, I would have said that in the past, but you're right. It wasn't accusatory. It was more like, this is what we, what you have done. Not her, because she's, mm. she's without <laughs> sin, but this is what you, all of us have done. What are you going to do about it? What are you right. doing about this? Like, that's, that's really the look. It's a, it's a mother's look to her children. Like, this mm-hmm. is your brother. What are you going to do about this? You know, it's mm-hmm. serious. Now, speaking of that Pieta moment and other portrayals of uh, Mary and Jesus, there is one moment in another movie that I thought was really perfect. And, I, and it's, it's a bit of a tangent. I am sorry. But I have to point out in Jesus of Nazareth, Olivia Hussey, I, she wasn't great as Mary the other time. She just she was too young and in, in most parts of the movie. But that moment at the end where they take Jesus from the cross and it's pouring rain and she's holding him in her lap and she's wailing in grief. And I remember hearing you reading about that when that scene was filmed, she wasn't intending to to ball like that. But the emotion of that moment, that the reality of that moment really touched her. And she was literally uncontrollable in her sobbing in that moment. That was real raw emotion from Olivia Hussey in that. So I I, I think hmm. Maya Morgenstern's Mary it, it far surpasses. I, I agree. But there is that one moment in Jesus of Nazareth that really strikes me uh, as well. Mm. Um, so I wanted to mention that. That there's the great scene where Jesus—it's a his memory of uh, making the table with Mary. You know that time before, and Joseph isn't in the picture. Joseph has already perhaps probably died by the that, this point, and this is maybe at the just before the beginning of his public ministry. And so he's working and he's making the table and he makes a table that you have to sit at, you know, it's a bit of a anachronism, you know, it's a bit of a, uh, Oh, Jesus invented the, the table that you, that you have to sit up at. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, you know, but uh, it, was, it was, it was a, a, a slight attempt at comedy relief. I mean, you know, yes, because we needed that. And, and, and yeah. it was probably the, the funniest 
part of the film, right. which just doesn't say much. But <laughs> yeah. I just I love the image of like the the creator, you know, like just <laughs> yeah. the absurd. In in a way, you could almost I, I you know don't of course mean it disrespectfully, but like you know it was his idea, like the almost absurdity of the creator God, you know, living in an obscure you know yeah. like carpenter shop in Galilee for thirty years. I mean, yeah. it's almost yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, still creating. Start a trend. And, yeah. and the fact that she says it's will never catch on. You know, <laughs> and stuff. Uh, my friend that I told you that I had watched this with, I'll never forget this. Um, and it was very well needed because this uh, this was after he was arrested. And and I think he was getting beat up and stuff. But um, I don't remember exactly where they cut away to that scene. But anyway, my friend leaned over to me after, you know, Mary said it'll never catch on. And he and he whispers. Jesus invented the chair. And it was just, it was like, you know, it was so funny um, to think that and how they really set that up. And I use it when I explain the Last Supper and I say, okay, you know, they recline a table, they're on pillows. This is the way they eat uh, still in, you know, in, in that part of the world. And, you know, so this, I, you know, it's not like chairs. And then I tell them the story about, you know, Jesus, uh, the Passion of the Christ movie uh, and how my friend said that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about Jesus's relationship to Peter in this movie. Uh, Peter is, I mean, Peter is great. He looks, the actor looks great. He, he, he feels right. Um, and then there's this, this scene where he denies Christ. And this is another one of those moments that really hits you in the gut because, you know, you have to, you know, see like, Peter, not it wasn't that long ago. Peter was like, "I'll die for you. <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, you know, God forbid that they'll they'll take you. They'll have to take me." And at this moment, when when the when the rubber hits the road, when it you know when it's time to to man up, and Peter denies him because he's afraid, and 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 the pain and horror of that that he suffers. I, I mean, I don't know about you guys. I identify with that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been there. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the Peter in this movie? I think I'm going to steal from Dr. Monica Miller uh, on this one, who's written a book. Uh, I haven't read it, but I've heard a lot about it. And I've heard her interview it on it quite a bit. And I think it's out of print or it's hard to get like a books has it for like 60 bucks or something. So but um, she was just on uh, with Al Cresta. Uh, it was like late, late February. So if people want to go back and check that out. I forget which day it was. Uh, talking about it and uh she pointed out a bunch of stuff that i'll probably you know hit on later on but uh you know in particular when she was talking about the the contrast and we'll talk about judas i know probably a little bit here too but with peter it's amazing how like so he does this he has this this terrible rejection of of jesus but then he kind of runs in like literally runs into the church in a way right. like, you know he runs into to mary runs into john and, and mary magdalene drops to his knees and just confesses yes you know and they were talking about this this imagery for the sacrament of reconciliation the whole like i you know forgive me for what i've done and he still he runs off and he's completely distraught as we know but that was pretty amazing you know and judas of course doesn't do that um that's the essential know, but, difference uh, between judas yeah. and peter yeah, they they both had that moment of staring into Christ after he denied him three times. He right. has that look of the beaten up Christ looking right at him. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was a juxtaposed to when Jesus was dropped down the wall with the chains and he was hanging there. Mm -hmm. And Judas happened to be there and they locked eyes. And what happens with Judas? A demon comes. Right. So it was like they're, they both did really 
equally horrible things in, in a way, but they both went in different directions. Right. Judas's sin was that he despaired. That's that was the unforgivable that he despaired of the forgiveness of God. Peter denied Christ, but he sought forgiveness. Judas denied Christ in in the way he did, but didn't believe that he could be forgiven. Didn't believe that there was mercy available. He didn't believe the truth of Jesus in that moment. And so he went and and it killed himself. And what do you guys think? Oh, let's, let's just switch quickly to Judas because we're, we're 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 there now anyway. So let's talk about him <laughs> quickly. Um, what do you think about that scene where he encounters the children and one of them gets that demonic face? What do you think that was about? I know there's a lot of interpretation. What do you guys think that that was about? Uh, anybody have a particular, or do y'all have a particular? Um, Andrew, what do you think uh, that was about? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, it, it's, it's key. Like the, the few times that we see Satan in this film, uh, you know, it, it, it's for, it, it's for a reason. And, and, and also this demonic baby. I mean, uh, a key time where this happens is, is when I think when, when Judah sees that, that demonic, uh, baby, that vision, you're see, literally seeing, you know, Satan starting to enter him. This is, uh, when, when we're talking about Judas's ultimate downfall. His, uh, you know, his suicide, the despair that you're talking about, it's it's literally a representation of 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 how sin works. You're letting the devil in, and you're letting the Christ out. You know, I think that's that's really what was what's happening there. And again, we just mentioned um, we're it's juxtaposed between how Peter, you know, handled the you know his his betrayal. There's a lot of mimicking going on, which is perfect. You know, Satan tries to ape Jesus, you know, because he can't make anything himself. So here you have little children, they're first like, what's wrong? Are you okay? And kind of that subtle, like, you know, drawing him in. And then it's like, we see the curse on you. We see blood on you. And uh, they're, they're really just distorted mockeries of the innocence of a child that are coming at it that are really, you know, the exact opposite. Uh, demons that want to needle him and make him ashamed. Uh, not feel guilty to go to repentance, but ashamed. And you just need to you need to kill yourself. You're rotten. You have blood on your hands. You're cursed. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, um, and sort of like his his demons chasing him, his sins chasing him, you know, and he's he's running. He's running through the desert also, which I don't I don't think there's any mistake of that imagery, especially with the, you know, the Israelites sort of experience in the desert, um, all kind of there. But what's he running to, you know, he's just always trying to run to get away from him. And I think that's something that that's another thing, Dr. You know, Dr. Miller pointed out, which I thought was just brilliant was, you know, Judas, like everything he's doing seems to be either to try to fix it himself uh, or to get it covered by the old covenant. You know, so he, you know how he's always like doing that thing. Like he's always wiping his face, mm -hmm. you know, or almost like they're trying to wipe, wipe the betrayed kiss off his own lips. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, so that, you know, he, he's trying to remove it himself. He, he goes to the, you know, and he's sincere, you know, cause it yeah. does talk about that in the gospels about that. He, you know, he repented of what he did, but not to the extent. Not the right. Really. Yeah. You know, it, he feels, he feels bad about what he did. Maybe it would be a better way of putting it. And the idea of like, take the money back, you know, help me, help me undo this thing I did. And well, I was like, that's not how it works. Yeah. You know, you can't, it's now it's tainted. You can't undo what you did. <laughs> yeah. You know, the one who can fix this in an, in a heartbeat. And I told my students that the other day, I was saying, you know, if he had done that, would he be on holy cards, right? With the rest of them, 
you know, and you can see some of them like they've never thought of that before. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he absolutely would be because Peter did basically the same thing. You know, so I, I thought the way that they both those actors portrayed that was just so well, well done, especially when how short they're in the movie, really. Just right. The first few minutes. Yeah. The, the action by Judas running around trying to undo what he's done. You feel like Judas's motivation here was to not to to capture Jesus, to have this have what happened to Jesus happen. He was trying to force his hand reveal yourself as the king of kings come back and throw those mm. rotten romans out of out of uh you know the holy land and and reclaim your role as king sit on a throne in jerusalem and he just didn't get what jesus was saying about my my throne is not a throne that's on here on earth and and so mm. he tried to force his hand and it backfired badly and and then he tried to undo it and yeah, that scene where he wants to give the the thirty pieces of silver back, and the and the and the high priest is like, no, that's that's blood money. Like we can't take that. Like as if that as if that wasn't the money he paid him as blood money in the first place. I thought that was you know yeah. uh, funny. But uh, mm-hmm. Judas, uh, we're, what we're told about Judas is his. Um, I mean, he's always listed as the betrayer, right? Uh, but his first time Jesus starts talking about it is the bread of life discourse. Yes, which which would some would indicate Jesus, Judas didn't believe in in the Eucharist, and so and and he never was like spoken of in any sort of sympathetic way by the gospel. He was a thief. He didn't care about the oh, poor, especially John's you know, gospel. So so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. You know, and so now he kisses the bread of life, and like Paul says, his his lips are now, you know, the, the, instead of being given life, they're they're rotting and they're and they're all being mm. chapped and he's trying to scrape it off. So it's kind of like the opposite, mm. you know, what Judas didn't accept and still trying to force G- Jesus to be whoever he thought he was going to be um, or whatever his motives were, you know, that was a big uh, Jesus of Nazareth motive that Judas was talking and like, if you just see what he can do and we'll just get him right. in front of the Sanhedrin and he'll prove himself, you know, but I, I looked at it more as, you know, Judas was kind of slowly being disillusioned and, uh, you know, both, in his mind, you know, and now he's just, well, at least I can get 30 pieces of silver out of this. Um, but the rotting of his, you know, his lips and, you know, how everything f- followed after that, uh, right. as we've all said, that, that showed really where he was at. Well, and, and Mary, too, at the end, you know, like the contrast with her kissing, you know, kissing his toes, you know, yeah. getting the, the, the blood of blood Christ of, and yeah. the Eucharistic imagery, right, you know, on her lips. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is so incredible as well, you know, right. of, of not understanding maybe fully or, or, you know, certainly being brokenhearted by the reality of what he's doing, but this acceptance of the blood, you know, the shedding of the blood, which obviously Judas can't conceive of that, you know, right. that's not how it's supposed to go. Let's talk about the other Mary uh, now, uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, played by Monica Bellucci. Uh, there is a great scene that they that Gibson included of where he makes it he, in in this movie he makes it very apparent the traditional understanding that Mary Magdalene is the woman caught in adultery that it doesn't actually say that in the Bible that she, you know but but tradition has held that she, that's her um, but we have this great scene that he included from that moment this the where they wanted to stone her and he he draws the line in the sand, you know, that, that moment, that moment where, you know, the, the gospel says he was doodling in the dirt, you know, but in this, 
it's this finger goes into the dirt and just draws it. And it's like an explosive uh, uh, action across the dirt. And it just, and it's like, he's literally drawing a line in the sand, you know, cross this line. If you're the one without sin, you know, and it, it I think I remember reading that that was actually Mel Gibson's hand. Yeah, he he yes, wanted it, it to be his, his hand to, to draw the line. He also wanted it to be his hand on the cross that they put the nail through. Uh, well, he's an hammer. Well, he's the hammer. hammer. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. I'm yeah. sorry. Yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. That was uh, Tim Caviezel's hand, but it was Mel Gibson's hand holding the hammer uh, mm. as a sort of per- act of personal devotion. <laughs> and like, yeah, oh, yeah, my sins nailed <laughs> Jesus to the cross. But th- this Mary Magdalene in this is a very interesting character. Some people who don't understand might view her attitude as being an emotional romantic attitude to Jesus, if you know what I mean. Like there, there seemed to be this this chemistry, electricity. But of course, that's the misunderstanding th- that we have. But she, her heart was totally turned toward Jesus. Um, and 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 a modern understanding is. Well, that must be, you know, it must be traction. But what do you think of this, this, how this played out in the movie, this relationship between Mary Magdalene and Jesus that we see on screen and her emotion, emotional re, uh, reaction and connection to Jesus in this? Well, you know, I this came out, now that I think about it, this came out right around the same time as uh, Da Vinci Code mm-hmm. or in the same, you same know, time period. Yeah, in the general. same time period, years, yeah. right. And uh, yeah, the same, the same cinematic universe. Um, no, but yeah, before those were things. No, but it's it's interesting because obviously that was you know, and that was like I said earlier, you know, my college, and then kind of you know, army travels and stuff like that. And a lot of people would would bring that up, and and to me it was just interesting because it's for one thing, as we often see, you know, there's just the sort of a a, a base kind of cultural leap to you know uh it, it just it has to be sort of a, a if not a directly sexual relationship at least like one that could be yes you know, a romantic relationship at least yeah right like the impossibility to understand you know friendship <laughs> quite frankly um and this uh yeah i mean obviously again this is in mm-hmm. the same rising time period as, as facebook and social media and all that kind of stuff which isn't you know bad of course but the the confusion of of what a friend really is and, uh, you know, I think when you read the, the Gospels, you know, it's it's abundantly clear that she has this this very special place among the disciples. But I, I just you know, it's so obvious that it's this this, you know, sisterly, you could say, you know, kind of role. It's it's one of absolute um, just love and devotion um, that doesn't carry any of that with it. And and I thought the portrayal would line up with that for me personally. Um and there's all these disputes, of course, about you know Mary Magdalene and her background and reality versus some of the the traditions that have arisen about who exactly she was, you know, in, in her past and all that. But um, I just thought in the movie, it it I thought did a great job, especially of, of her being right at Mary's side. And for for me, for whatever reason, that really is kind of a special thing about her and John. It's like the brothers, you know, the brother and sister almost right. you know, with the mother. And I just I think it really carries that across. And there's a real special connection I see in it, you know, with with her and Mary. Mike Dentz, what do you think? Yeah, I, that's exactly what I was thinking when you first talked about this, is that if you don't look at Mary Magdalene uh, with the Blessed Mother, then you're not going to get it because she's with her from the beginning. She's, you know, and so she, you know, if there was some sort of quasi sexual tension thing 
then you're not hanging out with his mom. You know, that just kind of doesn't <laughs> right. make sense. Right. Um, but she's she's taking care of the Blessed Mother. She's there with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and the the traditional way of looking at those two at the cross is that Mary is always standing up straight because the weight of sin doesn't crush her because she's without sin. Whereas mm-hmm. Mary Magdalene's always crouched down at the feet of Jesus because she's there, but she still has sin. You know, the weight of original, you know, that is right. crushing her. So she doesn't have the, the spiritual strength that Mary has to bear this. And, and any, you know, traditional image of, of the crucifixion with, uh, John and the two Marys there will, will depict that. Um, so I, I think that you have to look at her with the Blessed Mother, uh, to then shed a light on, okay, here is, she's not an apostle like John. She's not a man. She's, she's a woman, a follower. She's not the Blessed Mother. She's not perfect. What, how is she doing with this? And then, then how do we identify with her? How are, you know, how do we see ourselves in Mary Magdalene with the Blessed Mother, with Jesus? You know, how, how, how does that help us see ourselves uh, in her? Andrew? Yeah, I mean, you guys nailed it. And, you know, I think the film, you know, obviously had, did again, an amazing job portraying this, this pivotal character uh, from the Passion uh, story and in the Resurrection uh, story. She's obviously the first witness, the first person to uh, witness the resurrected Christ. And she is the person that, that has to tell all the disciples and everyone else that Jesus is risen. And, and, uh, and we obviously know the story from the Gospels that, you know, she wasn't met with, uh, the most trusting, <laughs> uh, the most, uh, you know, they didn't really trust her because obviously demons were literally in her. You know, that what we know about Mary Magdalene is that she was possessed by demons. Uh, she's not the most credible witness. Like, as you guys have stated, like her, her relationship with Christ was, was literally that 180 that after that line in the sand moment where she just devoted her whole heart, her whole life to Christ as any man or woman who chooses a religious life does now. To the, it's, a, it's no different than that. So I want to kind of uh, shift gears and talk about the figure of Satan in this movie. Uh, I don't spend too much time on it, but I want to read a quote from uh, Mel Gibson about why he included Satan, who doesn't show up in this way in the Gospels, but he had a purpose. He says, um, uh, it's, it's, and this is specifically about that scene in you know during the scourging where you see the satan figure walking around with this this, this ugly demon baby <laughs> um and it, this is what he says it's evil distorting what's good what is more tender and beautiful than a mother and a child so the devil takes that and distorts it just a little bit instead of a normal mother and child you have an androgynous figure holding a 40-year-old baby with hair in his back it's weird it's shocking it's almost too much just like turning Jesus over to continue scourging him on his chest is shocking and almost too much, when it, which is the exact moment when the appearance of the devil and the baby takes place. So uh, we have this androgynous figure who's sort of a mockery of his mother, in one sense, a mockery of Jesus himself, in another sense. Um, the tempter keeps trying to get him to either despair, like in the gar- agony in the garden, you know, you just give up. It's it's not going to work. You know, just why are you bothering? The, you know, the father's not listening to you while you pray here. You know, that, that temptation in the garden. And then just at the at the other points, just that that figure that lurks in the background, reveling 
in the suffering that Christ is enduring in this. What do you think of of Mel Gibson's inclusion of the Satan figure in this movie in this way? Uh, I'll, I'll go to you, Mike Denz, on that. Uh, it, it was interesting. Um, I loved the temptation in the garden uh, because he, first off, you know, it was cool. I mean, they did a cool job. They had this androgynous looking person who was all shaved with his cloak speaking Latin, you know, it was kind of like, okay, but also rotten to the core. There was one point when a maggot climbed in and out of its nostril. Right. Um, the snake you know, and then, on its arm or something, right? Yeah, yeah, and then the snake came out. Uh, and there's the two things that happened there that, you know, the, the, these are some deeper things that, you know, the the benefit and blessing of, of knowing, you know, more about uh, what's going on here. Like, he didn't know he still wasn't sure. He's like, who are you? Who is your father? He, he the, the whole time while I said like, Jesus is driving this forward. He's the one who's doing this. Satan is a, a, is an onlooker and just trying to like mock, like you're looking at your mother for strength. Look at me with this creepy baby. You know, it, it's almost laughable in a certain sense as it, as much as it is uh, diabolical. Um, and, and, but, but my favorite part was the temptation. And then Jesus, it, it, it he turned the corner from, uh, you know, Father, if this can be taken from me, to okay, you want to know who I am? I'm crushing this uh, snake's head, ring right. a bell, and now I'm doing <laughs> it. And now, now it's on. Now we're now we're going. And from that right. point on, Jesus is like, I'm doing this. I'm 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 moving forward. Nothing holding me back. No wavering. No agony in the garden. Um, and Satan is just kind of left there, trying to be Satan, uh, but really is is left off to the side till the very end when. You know, that that scream of uh, his, you know, oh, my gosh, what what happened? What have I done by right. inducing Judas to do this? You know, uh, it's it's really like, um, you know, the exorcist will say that that God humiliates the demons because of their pride. They are constantly mm -hmm. humiliated. And this was the ultimate humiliation. Satan's like, all right, this is my time. Look what I'm doing. I got this apparent Messiah. And, and then it all turns around for him. Uh, Andrew, how about you? Yeah, I think the decision to include Sane in the film is every movie needs a antagonist, and and I, you know the obviously you want to portray the antagonist of of this this story. It's it's obviously Satan again. Don't we talk about foreshadowing again? The, the the scene you know crushing the head of the snake, and then at the at the very end, uh, after Christ dies, Satan screaming up into the sky because uh, Satan is death has been defeated. Uh, Satan's been defeated the the bad guy lost right so that that that's uh, as far as a film narrative decision I, I think that that added that layer that that the film uh that added a lot to uh to the movie yeah the 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 choice of casting a woman but making it androgynous was i, I think w was great very i mean it was symbolic because satan we're going to portray saying to a uh, visual human audience, make the person look not human, make right. the person look, you can't, you don't know the gender, you don't, you, you're not swung one way or the other about saying it's, he's masculine, feminine all the same time. And um, I, I thought that was a, a, a clever choice as well. And yeah, I, I think it, and it added to, to the aesthetic of the film. I mean, because as, as gory and as bloody as, as the passion is, a lot of people w would say that this movie, like like you mentioned, Peter Crave said is the most beautiful movie ever made. There is beauty in this film among all the 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 violent aspects of it and 
and the bloodiness. But the real darkness really comes when those few pivotal scenes that Satan appears. Those are the the ugly uh, moments uh, of the film. And yeah, again, you know, he 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 really nailed it. Mike Creevy. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think the only thing I would add is that the uh, what I think is interesting about the whole you know androgynous aspect to it, you know, and just in addition to what you guys were saying is really that it helps, I think, to reinforce the idea that, um, you know, Satan doesn't have any interest in appearing usually at all, <laughs> you know, uh, but when he does, it's, you know, even in scripture, you know, it, it's enticing, it's whispering in your ear, you know, it it's as an angel of light, that kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. because it doesn't do him any good to show up with horns and, you know, like a lot of the depictions we normally think of. So I actually found it more creepy <laughs> in that it's, it's just like you guys said, a, a character who looks strange and not quite human, but because it's a, a, a woman who's, I think she's an Italian actress or model, you know, but like head shaved, eyebrows shaved, you know, has this strange look, but there's still, there's something kind of beautiful about her. Right. You know, it's distorted beauty. It, right. You yeah. know, so it's just, for me, I always thought that was very well done for that reason alone. Yeah. It could have been, it could have been easy to just cast a, um, someone who was overweight or, you know, misshapen or, you know, to, to show how evil is all, you know, distorts and is ugly and, or, or whatnot, or to put prosthetics on a person to make them look ugly. But the, you're right. It was that subtle, like, take a, take a beautiful woman and and then distort her by making her skin pale and she's taking all her hair off and you know all that sort of stuff yeah it's yeah, you're right that that's an interesting point um all right so i think it would be appropriate to end the movie talking about the man himself uh jesus uh and portrayed by jim caviezel what do you guys think about jim caviezel's portrayal and and the i mean the the whole movie <laughs> obviously all the great parts of it but um, maybe how he did in the crucifixion uh, scenes of the movie. Uh, what do you think of Jim Caviezel in this movie? Um, well, you know, I don't know who wants to start first. Uh, Mike, since uh, you went last last time, I'll let Mike Creevy, I'll let you go first this time. Well, you know, I think one thing that always struck me a lot about him, uh, and I guess they did this, you know, uh, with glue and some other you know makeup effects and stuff and and he talked about how much it messed up his depth perception you know there's a whole there's all sorts of stuff you guys know you know all the all the stories stories of the production Mm -hmm. yeah you know and like the lightning strike and and all that there's all sorts of crazy stuff but um i was always pretty amazed that you know in the flashbacks you see him kind of you know uninjured but really in in the main narrative of the movie from from the from the garden beat up all the way to the end he's got one eye shut and i mean i i don't know how you carry across so much meaning and so much you know like the the gaze of christ that he pulls off with one eye <laughs> is is pretty impressive he's got um, more and, talent than one eye <laughs> <laughs> and, and and it's it's so amazing i thought because like one thing i always noticed that was really cool and i kind of verified it again watching it you know today is there's probably a good half dozen times or so that there's like a side character or like, I remember like Barabbas, there's mm-hmm. a good you know, moment yeah. where, where Jesus just kind of looks with this complete, just unspeaking look of compassion and mercy at somebody and they can't look for long, you know, and they, right. they, they look away, you know, and uh, that I thought was really incredible. Um, and then all the way up through, you know, the, the, 
I remember being very affected at the time by uh, the way that uh, Simon of Cyrene was portrayed mm-hmm. and, and their brief interaction on screen to the point where you have Simon of Cyrene who's resisting it at first, then like coaching him. You know, he doesn't really know what's going on, but he just you get the impression that he knows this guy does not belong here if justice, you know, <laughs> we're, we're truly respected in this world. Right. Um, and he's just there like it's it's like. He just feels compelled to kind of coach him on like, you know, almost done, you know, you're almost finished, you know, and that's just a really powerful moment. And then um, I'd say the last thing that really I thought was so interesting was, you know, when he looks up and he's dying on the cross uh, after giving John to Mary and, you know, he says into my, you know, into your hands, you know, I, I commend my spirit. And it's so, so incredibly gripping and powerful as it slowly just starts to pull back and they see, you know, they I think they digitally view. did it, I guess, yeah. his pupil. Right. Yeah. The pupil dilates. Yeah. And then, he, you know, so just even like the little medical details and things like that, that are just so like right up to the end, just incredible. You know, so I, I don't know how anyone could have done a, a better job than he did. It's it's still very captivating. Uh, he's a revelation. I mean, the the, the performance yeah. was uh, I mean, no pun intended, but uh, the performance <laughs> was, uh, uh, you know, he really portrayed Christ as a hero. Yeah, um, a, a heroic figure. I mean, because you could have easily portrayed Christ as someone that you just felt really sorry for, you know, throughout the whole a film. Victim. Because yeah, because yeah. like you know, the film doesn't let up with the, uh, you know, obviously all the, uh, the punishment. But uh, weaving through all of that, he really nailed the uh, the flashback scenes where you get to see Christ, uh, the the intimate, how intimate he was with the disciples, all the way up to the those brutal scenes on the cross. That's not easy. I mean, you're 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 asking an actor, like you said, half more maybe more than half the film with with only one eye open, a big majority of the film on top of a cross, with and not being able to emote with your hands or your body. You're really asking a lot from an actor, uh, and and this is someone who was relatively unknown at the time. They could have easily cast a big name. We had a big name director behind it. You, could, you know, could have easily could have easily casted someone else. I see. I, I see now, like the the decision to to pick. Jim Caviezel, because, you know, whatever he did in auditions, you know, however they chose to cast him, they really found the right qualities. Because up until now, we usually see, you know, hippie Jesus right. <laughs> in a film, a very clean and, and friendly sort of uh, figure. And uh, you usually see Christ with a few lashes, you know, on the cross, and he's still pretty clean. But portraying the, the scene where the blood and then the water flows out from his side water flows out from the side because you've bled every last drop you know that's the only way water would come out so to believe that again going back to the argument about the violence like you for that to be believable all the blood had to come out somehow and i think he really portrayed that suffering to a believable point on screen it's not an easy thing to do how about you uh, mike dense i i I want to make sure i mention that i i think this is this is like the Pieta or the Sixteenth Chapel of Films. This this is a, a work of art, uh, mm-hmm. and and I I know that's a high praise, but I I really think you know there's there's certainly no other film that touches it, uh, but it it is uh, that that beautiful and that well done of, of a film that I've always thought of it that way. But uh, with Jim Caviezel, I mean I I've followed him. I, I knew of him beforehand. You know, I remember one time seeing him run in a movie and I saw part of his scapular pop up below his T-shirt. You know, he wasn't a Catholic in the movie, <laughs> but, you know, he wasn't taking that off because, uh, you know, for the film. So, you know, you have to deal with it. But when Gibson talked about it, I think I'm, I'm like 90 percent sure that, that Gibson like 
I want gym, let's get gym. And he described one part of it is, you know, I want a muscular, strong, powerful Jesus. I don't want some wimpy, mamby-pamby, you know, tiptoe through the tulips Jesus. I want a guy that was a carpenter, you know, that could handle himself, that was strong. And I think, especially in the scenes where the flashbacks, you know, he appeared like a, a, a man, you know, when you saw him drawing the line in the sand, as you say, you know, he was, uh, you know, physically uh, imposing, you know, not like Schwarzenegger anything, but, you know, just a, a man, uh, a tough guy. Um, but what Gibson said that really struck me, reminded me of, of people that like, I met in Steubenville and, and, and some others. It, it's a rare thing, but they're so in love with Christ. They're so spiritual that they have an otherworldly quality. And that's what Gibson said. Caviezel has an otherworldly quality about him. Mm. And you can, if you ever see Caviezel interview, you know, and he's not in character for something, he's, he, he's just, he's like, he has one foot on earth and one foot in heaven. He's just, he is a spiritual guy. And he, mm. and he comes out, he comes at you from a, a spiritual dimension that, you know, either you get it and you think you're like, wow, or you're, you're this guy's kind of kooky. Um, and I think that was necessary for him to be able to do things like, you know, act with one eye with a contact lens in it, you know, and, right. and all that other stuff, you know, um, the, the, the scene where he climbed on the cross, like I lay down my own life and he's there climbing through the rocks and laying down on the cross himself. Uh, and how could, you know, Caviezel portrayed that and everything. I, I don't think anyone else could have done it because it, it, uh, it wasn't just a great actor, it, you know. You had to have someone with faith doing this, uh, and that's what it took. Mike uh, Creevy, that you're you're going to be doing an episode soon of this uh, podcast uh, on the Thin Red Line, where starring uh, mm-hmm. Mil- uh, Jim Caviezel in a Terrence Malick movie. And I remember Jim Caviezel talking about the the spiritual experience he had of, in that movie with Terrence Malick, um, who's a, a spiritual guy himself. Uh, he told, I remember him telling a story once about getting that part, but, uh, uh, so it'll be interesting to hear you talk about that when, when that podcast comes uh, around, uh, Caviezel's role in that, that was a few years before this. So I do want to, as, as we wrap up, uh, here, uh, I do want to mention that there has been talk of uh, a sequel, the passion of the Christ Two. no, uh, actually, (laughs) actually it's, they they are calling it the, the resurrection of the Christ. And um, Gibson's been talking about it for about four years now, uh, since about 2016. He and Randall Wallace, who he wrote uh, uh, Braveheart with, they are we have been working on it. They've been they talked to Jim Caviezel about being in it. Who knows when that's when that'll come? But you know, I don't think it's been definitively said no or definitively said yes. But I think they were still working on it. So it would be interesting to see. People had been clamoring for a sequel from the beginning um so we'll we'll see uh how that how it how it goes to portray this movie because again as we said at the beginning this movie part of it is that it's not about teaching you all about the teachings of jesus and his parables and the commandments but about giving you this moment with that where where the gospel was preached in his actions how that will work in a movie about the resurrection uh so i'd be i'd be curious to see that yeah, I think if, if the unless you guys have any last thoughts, I think it would be good to to wrap things up, and because uh, we've 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 uh, we could talk for hours about yeah. this movie, and maybe we will have another chance to talk about this movie again, uh, maybe in, in a future Lent that would be uh, appro- uh, appropriate. I think 
But um, I, I would like to just throw in one quick little you know, one more pitch if people have not yep. heard the soundtrack because John Debney mm-hmm. it's so funny because he I was, oh, yeah. I was double checking yep. here. The last movie that he had done um, uh, the soundtrack for before The Passion, I think, was Welcome to Mooseport. Oh, oh wow. wow. You know, <laughs> and he did. And it's funny because like, he's one of these guys I'm looking at as a listener. He's just one of these guys who's just been working constantly, you know, since like the early 80s or something like that so but i don't know how i i love i've been trying to find out i've never i've never seen the story of how he got you know that right. over i mean you figure it's 2003 or two you know two and they're doing pre-production how do you get that over john williams hans zimmer james horner you know <laughs> right all these other guys it's, yeah. it's it's iconic and and i i will routinely listen to that soundtrack like while i'm working or i have it on the background because it's just i mean to me it's musically what the stations of the cross is like liturgically it's just it's that you know powerful for me so uh i without that soundtrack you know i mean the soundtrack was was you know a huge part of of the whole experience for me and and continues to be and it's interesting they released a couple other albums with it of songs inspired by by contemporary Mm -hmm. christian artists and and others so Mm -hmm. it's kind of an interesting phenomena that 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 sprung up around the music of this, of this uh, movie, but you're right. The music, the music was pretty uh, phenomenal in this. It just, it was just enough and just struck the right tone. John Dibney knew what he was doing. Uh, good. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. I just wanted to add, I mean, uh, I think just to want to point out box office wise, this was the highest grossing rated R movie for the longest time until Deadpool right. just a few years ago. And then, and then Joker right. recently just beat, be Deadpool, and it, but, but it's, still, it's still, I think, it's still the maybe what you're about to say. It was st- it's still the highest grossing non English language film of all time mm-hmm. um, until I think it was surpassed by Parasite. Actually, no, the wasn't. I don't think so. As far as box office gross, okay. Maybe, uh, still, uh, I thought I saw somewhere well, that, well, it, maybe, that it had you might be you might be right. I, I don't know how uh, how uh, recent uh, the last thing I read it was about it. Okay, but, um, but nevertheless, yeah. Nevertheless, it, the sequel should come out. You know, <laughs> a movie if, if it's that successful, you know, the the sequel should come out. I think Mel Gibson should have a problem with financing. Uh, yeah, oh, here it is. It was the highest grossing non English language film of all time until 2017. When it was surpassed ah. by Wolf Warrior Two, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Yes, they need to make the sequel to to, to fix that. <laughs> All right. Uh, looks like we we actually lost uh, Mike Dens. We lost his uh, Skype c- uh, connection, so we'll we'll uh, we'll have to sign off without him. But uh, uh, we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of movies and TV shows. Uh, including Mark A, Gwen L, Tabitha M, David B, and Roger and Julie J. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of movies and TV shows and all the shows we do at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you What did you think of The Passion of the Christ? Was it a great movie for you? Was it not a great movie for you? Did you have problems with it? Is it not a movie that you like? We'd love to hear from you. Uh, what did you think of the things that we talked about and the various uh, relationships and the themes in the movie? We, we uh, People have opinions. We know you have opinions. So let us know by commenting on the show uh, where it's posted at sqpn.com slash secrets or the StarQuest Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media. Or send an email to secrets at sqpn.com. Until next time, Mike Creevy, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of the Passion of the Christ. Oh, it was my pleasure. 
Andrew Hermans, thank you as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And Mike Denz, we, we thank Mike Denz for joining us. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows on StarQuest. And have a happy Easter, everyone. <laughs>